Holding her like, yeah, twist this and push that down. Origami push. <laughs> yeah, who likes being folded? Not you, who tolerates being folded. That's a bad <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Minnesota Mystery number three. Yes, Minnesota Mystery, it's Friday. And yeah, this is time to talk about unresolved or slightly mysterious or just smaller kind of mysteries or crimes that we want to pick up yeah and our theme this week is hangover from a love fest so we hope you had a nice valentine's day this week but if you're feeling a bit grim afterwards then this might be the episode for you who's going first this time I'm going to put my money on you being worse, to be honest, though. So what do you have? Just broad strokes. Oh, I don't know how to describe it. Is there a murder? Not necessarily. Okay. There is a death. Uh, there is a death in mine. Okay. How do uh, we judge this? This is tricky. I mean, normally it's so clear who is worst because someone is always more outraged than the other. I don't think I'm worse this week. Mine, Mine's just a bit mysterious. I was so sure that I was not going to be worse this week. Um, I mean, I'm happy to go first if you want me to go first. Yeah, we can decide. I mean, yeah, sure. I think mine is about the same level as Trevelyan Evans was. Uh, you go first. I want to hear yours. Okay, I am talking about the most expensive divorce in British history. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So... The Young versus Young divorce. Um, Scott Young was from Dundee in Scotland. Hmm. And during the property boom in the 1980s, he started to rapidly start making money to the extent that he built up a fortune, allegedly, of two billion pounds. Hmm. Which is, if we're doing direct translation to today, it's 2.6 billion euro or 2.7, 2.8 billion uh, US dollars. But this was in what year? Mm, this, he started in the 1980s, and by the time he got married in 1995, he, he would have been worth around, allegedly around 2 billion, 400 million, confirmed 100%. Okay, that is a lot of money back then so, as well, though. Yeah, so mm. that's not taking into account how much that has changed. Oh, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, he did have some help from his father-in-law, but... The, there, there was a lot of shady things about how he made his money. Like no one was mm. really sure about the deals. They weren't really made public. Um, he, he did a lot of foreign investment. Um, it, it was strange. Mm. But yeah, he married Michelle, um, in 1995, and when the marriage fell apart, um, Michelle sought a financial settlement, and initially was asking for a 50-50 split of their assets. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was, I think they, they, she started divorce proceedings after eight years, but by the time litigation began, it was uh, 11 years after they got married. So it was 2006. Okay. Scott Young claimed that he'd lost all of his fortune in a Russian property deal. Um, Michelle found an old computer and 
went through it and um, analyzed his, uh, his accounts and allegedly found plans that he'd put into place for hiding money um, in case of a future divorce. Hmm. There was also a leaked document that showed he'd used a Panama-based law firm um, and other offshore bank accounts. Um, of course, to, it's the Panama thing. Yeah, <laughs> but he also used um, other other companies and other accounts and everything else to try to stash assets in Russia, British Virgin Islands, and Monaco. Hmm. Um, but as of uh, 2017, no funds were recovered. Really? Yeah. I, I would have thought that it would be easier to... Like, not necessarily trace the exact money back, but mm -hmm. just seeing that, no, no, you've obviously just pushed these funds away. No. Um, oh, okay. There's a big suggestion that police haven't looked into it properly, though. Oh. But litigation in the divorce case went on for almost eight years. And, yeah, there were 65 court hearings um, millions spent in legal fees to the extent that Michelle is um, currently being sued by her lawyers for 1.2 million in unpaid fees. Um, sorry, 11.2 million in unpaid fees. I was what enough from the first wrong number, but no. what? Yeah, 11.2 million in unpaid fees. And that's for her side, not for his side. Yeah, how does that happen? It go. It went on for eight years, though, and I mean, yeah, still, how does that happen? It There's a reason. one thing, but I mean, that is worrying because I would assume that the majority of lawyers and I'm not a lawyer. I have never, okay, I have once interacted with lawyers, but that was you know university days and not quite coherent. But I would assume them seeing this case and seeing like okay there is such a massive payoff that they would basically just say some outrageous, probably demand more of a percentage of the actual payout at the end than they could and not bother about chasing her for the payments. That's... Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. The, the sort of money you're talking about is if the firm works hundred hours a week on it for mm. the entire period and they were billing at 200 pounds an hour mm. that's that's the sort of figure you'd come up with yeah hundred hours a week but pressuring that compared to working towards the end goal of i don't know getting let's say 30 percent of no. whatever billions you got but there is no end goal here i mean the end goal is surely 50 50 no, but if someone has made that much money, then they know how to hide it as well. That's a fair point, but there must... I, I just want there to be traces. I mean, it shouldn't I be know, that easy I, to get away I, with it. I totally agree, but I also think that, especially in the UK, we've had so many tax scandals in the mm. last 10 years as well about people stashing money all over the place that people know how to do it. There's always going to be ways, and if you have the means, then... You're going to make sure you're protected and you'd rather, you know, lose 20% of your fortune to, mm. to someone who's going to stash it than uh, lose half to your ex-wife if you're going to be spiteful or well, lose 10% uh, to her lawyers and 40% to her or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he claimed he'd lost basically his entire fortune um, in some deal that, that went bad with, mm. uh, with Russians. 
um, but yeah, the, the whole thing is super sketchy. To this day, Michelle says she um, she hasn't received any money. In the end, the judge actually sided with him and said, really? yeah, um, to pay her 20 million, but she hasn't received any of that. And in September 2017, so just last so year. The, just to clarify, mm-hmm. the judge sided with her. Or? Sided with him. To pay her. Okay, well, at so, least there was something. Um, well, bear in mind, you're talking about two billion that he yeah. supposedly had, you're, and she was originally going after half of that. Mm. And they confirmed that he had 400 million at some point. So even if she went after that, you're still talking 200,000. So it's you're true. talking the, about the 5% temp- rather than 50. Well, the, the 10%, 10% considering if she would have gotten a 50%. Yeah, but 5% of the total amount. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yes, okay, I'm just trying to be the silver lining guy here, but it's no. the, the, the build-up kind of made it sound like, no, she gets nothing and then is left with the bills for the lawyers. Yeah, but, I mean, if she's awarded 20 million and she um, has 11.2 million in lawyer fees, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here going, <laughs> oh, the poor woman, she only has 9 million left to live on. Yeah, but, I... but at the same time, you know, she's wasted no, eight no. years of her life pursuing this and she doesn't even get what she wants out of it. And the guy, I mean, some people would say he screwed her over and hid the money, but I mean, there's no proof of that. I I, I definitely agree, but I just assumed that the uh, any kind of ruling would be worse and that she would be like left completely in the red from the proceedings, if nothing else. Oh, come on. She didn't have a prenup, but... It, it, like bare minimum he should be paying her lawyer fees one would think but if that ruling stands then she gets that and more so she I'm hasn't been saying... paid a penny of that though and oh, bear okay, in mind that's, so that's this the worst thing oh, okay this i, I was just happy felt up but never mind Ignore no me. this closed like four years ago hmm. and she hasn't received any of that and now her lawyers are suing her for the unpaid bill oh. so I mean, well, this isn't even the story. This is the context for the story. <laughs> um, yeah, so September 2017, um, it was revealed that Scotland Yard had received a dossier with the transcript of a phone call between Scott and Michelle, where she claimed that she had uncovered links between Scott and the exiled Russian oligarch Boris Berezovsky. Oh. Yeah, and um, Scott had... What? That's kind of big. Yeah. And Scott had warned her to stop investigating his contacts as his life was in danger. Hmm. Um, it was... Ev- the whole split and the, the court proceedings were really heavily covered in the press. And, you know, they were both under intense scrutiny. But, yeah, the judge in the divorce case said that it was um, the most bitter of matrimonial breakdowns and some of the allegations thrown around could only be described as wild. But the way Scott behaved during the whole case was also pretty bizarre. So Michelle hired the best lawyers and he mostly represented himself. Hmm. Um, he refused to answer many questions, um, saying that answering would be self-incriminating. And he was eventually sent to jail oh. for contempt of court. He went to jail for six months for not answering questions. And he didn't even hire a proper lawyer for himself. 
I mean, that seems stupid, but at the same time, if he they actually paused everything and sent him to jail, mm-hmm. that kind of sorted the whole legal issue, or did it? Or did they need to follow up but while he was in jail, or what happened? What do you mean follow up? Like, the, the, the court case, the divorce is still supposed to be continuing, but he's refusing mm-hmm. to answer questions. Yeah. So in the end, it's, well, we're going to have to make do with you not answering questions but there was some speculation there that he was involved in something way worse like that would have sent him to jail for a much longer time and that was the reason why he wasn't answering questions related to the divorce because he could incriminate himself into a crime that uh that had way more significant ramifications but okay yet again i'm not uh, fluent in legalese or whatever but him going to jail for contempt of court does not mean that he cannot be convicted for other things. No, later. but it means that he's not giving any information on it that could incriminate him. True, and if he's the but... only one who knows it that's likely to to spill the beans, then he's pretty much safe. So, and on a moral high ground, that is better than actually perjuring himself. But yeah. Um, I mean, that must open up so many avenues to investigate other things with probable cause and whatnot. Nope. Really? It didn't. Oh. Yeah. It, it, yeah, the whole thing is a bit weird. He was described as being mentally stable um, before uh, Michelle started divorce proceedings. But afterwards and after his uh, imprisonment, he was diagnosed with bipolar and was also being treated for drug and alcohol abuse. Um, Mm. so there was a sort of feeling that he was not in the best place. Um, at the time this all came to a head, he lived at number 33 Montague Square with his girlfriend. Um, her name is Noelle Renault. She was an American fashion entrepreneur and former model. Mm. Um, they'd started dating in 2009. So a couple of years after, uh, Michelle had started divorce proceedings, um, just to give you a bit of an idea of the sort of place they're living in, it's basically central London. Um, and the apartments on the lower floors were once leased to Ringo Starr from the Beatles. <laughs> um, and yeah, Jimi Hendrix had also lived there as well as John Lennon. Um, and the basement of the building at one point was converted into a recording studio for them. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty special place. Like, um, there's a, a plaque outside that's only issued for places that are sort of significant culturally or um, mm-hmm. whatever but anyway in um, December 8th of December 2014 he rang his girlfriend Noelle um, she wasn't at home at the time so he, he phoned her and said I'm going to jump out the window stay on the phone you will hear me he then felt he then fell four floors onto the railings and died and the pictures of the railings and the ground were like bloodstained ground were all over the papers so they you know they yeah pulled him off the railings shall we say and took him away but all, there were so many photos of the scene after they'd removed his body mm. so yeah that happened late 2014 
2015, there was a hearing and after several hours of evidence, the coroner decided that um, Scott's death couldn't be ruled as a suicide because there was insufficient evidence. So they recorded um, a, what's called a narrative verdict. It just means that there's not enough evidence to, to show suicide, but it's not necessarily an indication of foul play. It just means that there's not really enough for us to say anything. Okay. Um, there were... Do you know any details on, you know, the narrative murder and what that phrase actually entail? And I... how it can be used? Because I'm a sucker for narrative and hearing that like that sounds weird but also enticing so a narrative verdict is basically where the coroner can't take a box to say you died of one of these common things oh. one of these common causes and they actually just have to it's it's the equivalent of taking other and then filling out a little brief description that's <laughs> essentially it huh. so it's, it's pretty strange so the pathological no um what's coroner? the name for the Postmortem. I guess it's basically the autopsy equivalent of we don't know. Yeah, the coroner is saying not a hundred percent. Here's my description, huh. but don't know whether it was murder, suicide, natural. Well, it doesn't fit into one of the boxes. Okay. Um, there were quite a few factors that suggest there might have been third party involvement, though. Mm-hmm. Um, no, nothing puts someone else in the room, which is pretty crucial. So the whole thing about him claiming to have lost his fortune in the Russian property deal is quite suspicious. Um, him refusing to answer any questions about his finances during the court case was also pretty suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of speculation. There was a, a Russian connection there that meant he, he knew it was better not to say anything to, than to risk his life by, um, by talking about what had gone on. Okay. Um, he also had told friends in the weeks before his death that he feared for his safety. Um, uh. And here's a bit of an oxymoron, but <laughs> a comprehensive BuzzFeed investigation <laughs> <laughs> found documents that suggested that US spy agencies oh. believed Russia was involved in Scott's death. Um, the police investigation into his death was allegedly shut down before any anything of any substance could um could be found um allegedly they didn't conduct forensic tests or investigate young's uh business ties with well alleged business ties with enemies of the russian president putin mm-hmm. um i mean it could be as simple as he'd lost his fortune was involved with some dodgy characters and just didn't want to incriminate himself in open court and um, you know, he just ended it all. It could be that. And he did send a text to his girlfriend to say, just a couple of hours before his death, to say, now I've hit rock bottom, as you'll see. Love you like no other. Love you always and forever. But, yeah, this is a Minnesota mystery, so... Yeah, and you're conversating in the mysterious for both of us. I mean... Yeah. Sorry, there is a lot of mystery here, but I'm just stuck on like the weird roller coaster ride of being so happy to hear someone else actually use the word oxymoron, which is one of my favorites. 
and then getting slapped in the face with a fucking BuzzFeed uh, <laughs> thing. But yeah, sorry, sorry. Let's focus on on the important things. Let's focus on the case, focus on the mystery. Yes. No, there's... Like, what can you say? Yeah, there, there's nothing. Like, my feeling is, he didn't... He didn't jump to his death. Hmm. I mean, if there is a lot of setup for foul play here. Yeah. That's true. I don't think it was death by suicide. I think... I think there was something greater at play. And if he really did love his girlfriend, then I don't think he would have phoned her to do that. Yeah, true. He stayed on the phone whenever it happened. Hmm. But yeah, that's my story. Huh. I don't it... think it's going to be the worst this week. I don't think so either. Hey, um, I like... knew it. <laughs> <laughs> What's your Minnesota mystery? So my mystery is not that mysterious, but I'll, I'll try to push it. Uh, I did find it quite interesting, and especially on the uh, topic of spousal support. So this concerns um, Pavel Tauchen, or Tauchen. I'm not sure it's a Czech name, I'm assuming, because this is a Czech criminal. Uh, kind of a repeat offender, constantly doing robberies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was referred to as a safecracker once, which is kind of generous because he there was not much finesse involved. He mostly used a lot of explosives and blew up safes and took what was inside them. Okay. Presumably what was not burnt. <laughs> so he had been convicted several times before for, you know, uh, robberies and such. And he had also been in prison before. I did find, I couldn't find that many details on a lot of the places in these cases, unfortunately. Uh, I'll get more on that later. But for the older stuff, like in 1999, he managed to actually pull off an um, escape attempt uh, as he was imprisoned on his own. But he was thwarted and shot and arrested again. But he made it out. I'm not going to say fine, but he made it out but he continued his kind of life of crime uh, until 10 years after that which was at the start of november in 2009 mm-hmm. pavel was sentenced to five years in prison for um, well robberies blowing up safes so he was sent to the bori maximum security prison in uh, pilsen and well he was not too happy about that and neither was his wife Uh-oh. Uh, so his wife dagmar she kind of set up a plan with him to uh, free him. So what they did was Pavel faked an uh, ear problem. Okay. Uh, and he was escorted to a doctor at a hospital. Apparently, I'm not sure how he would fake that or what the doctor said. They didn't specify that. But You could just jab a pen in your ear and say you had ear pain. That's not really faking it, though. That's just maiming yourself. And that's not mentioned. Uh, no, it, it says that he faked an ear problem. Uh, and, well, convincingly enough that he was brought to the hospital and uh, got a checkup there, basically. Ear things do mess you up, though. I think ears are pretty horrible. When stuff goes wrong, it's... That's true. But yeah, so as, uh, after the visit, he and the uh, guards were exiting the hospital. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Dagmar, his wife, had been just, like, 
casually walking in front of them. She was like wearing a dark wig with uh, braids and stuff. And she was just walking in front of them. As they got outside of the hospital, she just turned around, pulled out a gun and um, uh, threatened them to let him go. Whoa. Uh, So the guards complied and uh, basically just let them go, which they kind of got a little bit of heat from, but they justified it because there were a lot of civilians around. So that is understandable. Mm But, uh, yeah, so the couple got in the car and sped off. There might have been a third accomplice, but they're not sure. Uh, they're slightly confused because uh, so Paul still had his handcuffs on. Oh. Um, but they got in the car, sped off. After they drove off in the car, the, um, the security and uh, presumably police uh, started a chase. Yeah. Uh, but Dagmar kept them kind of at bay by firing the gun back at the pursuers. Huh which I'm not sure if she was doing while she was driving or if he was driving with handcuffs, which is... Either way, that's kind of... Hmm. They're not sure, but uh, they did manage to shake off the pursuers Mm -hmm. and basically got away at that point. So police were, um, well, immediately on, like, okay, trying to stop them. They were kind of working on the assumption that the couple would try to leave the country as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, But they did get a tip also... No clue where that came from or how, but they got a tip that the couple were hiding in the house of a relative in the village of Hayani. Yeah, so um, the police went there, they checked it out, they couldn't find them in or around the house or anything, but just to be sure, they set up a lot of like uh, roadblocks and checkpoints around that area, which was where they ultimately did find them as they were driving through a checkpoint. Okay, good for them. So... There was a confrontation of some sort. There wasn't that much information to start off because, uh, well, the police kind of embargoed all details and didn't really shut it up, but they were just like, no, no, this stuff happened and this is where we are now. So what was leaked, uh, there was someone in the police who leaked something to the press, mm-hmm. which was that he took his gun and sh- or took the gun and shot himself in the head. And uh, Dagmar tried to flee on foot from the police, but she was shot down. She was, however, flown to a hospital and uh, had a successful operation, survived. So she she's alive. But yeah, so the police kept the information quite tight. And for a long while, especially media and people suspected that this was not exactly what had happened. Uh, they thought that Pavel might have been shot by the uh, police, uh-huh. basically. And... It sounded weird, and then getting no details or confirmation at all from the police didn't help. Uh, they did release a report which should have confirmed that it was uh, death by uh, suicide, but there were still some doubts, and um, yeah, there were also some weird things. Like I said, like if there was an accomplice or not, who tipped them off, and also the main question why they actually returned to. Um, Hayami, uh, instead of like fleeing the country or leaving yeah. properly or something. They don't really know that many details on this. Um, they did a bit more recently show more. I found some uh, articles and stuff on the actual court proceedings afterwards. Uh-huh. And seeing Dagmar in court. And she did get quite a lower sentence than was uh, first suggested or planned, I know. Okay. Um, was there like an initial sentencing and she was... Um, she was given a certain... I think it was more like preparation for um, sensing her with focus on like the um, 
the assaults and the threatening with uh, lethal weapons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they apparently had a recently new uh, clause, not clause, but category for basically uh, aiding like prison escape stuff, and uh, which is apparently less damning in the eyes of the law. So she was convicted under that rather than... Exactly. Huh. Uh, So she was found guilty. She got a sentence of up to five years. What? Uh, That's crazy. I think there's a good chance that it might be less as well. Like uh, in the courtroom, she also tried to um, appeal a lot with uh, how basically stressing how she couldn't stand to be without her husband. How it felt like as if someone would have kidnapped her child when he was imprisoned, yeah. which is also an analogy to make. Uh, and she did apologize to the guard. She uh, threatened and held up with a gun, basically saying that she was sorry that caused, <laughs> you know, okay. any trauma. But she really, really needed her husband back. I really, like, ugh, I wonder how they felt about that. Massive mm. eye roll. <laughs> Thanks, love. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, this is... Um, she was very clearly felt very passionately about her husband and being with him. So they, she didn't give any more details on what their plans were after that or anything. But no, this was just a short little note on the length. Like she had no conviction. She was not criminal or anything from what I could find. Uh-huh. She was just, oh, she was very much in love with her husband. Needed to break him out. So There's got to be more to it than that. Probably. No, it was a bit sketchy, so it isn't a big mystery, but everything looks a little bit sketchy here. Hmm. Um, but no, I thought it was uh, suitable for this week with focus on a bit more on the love and the dedication to one another. Yeah, I guess that's nice in the sense of she really wanted him back. I, d- I don't believe it. I think there's something sketchier going mm. on. What do you think? Um, I think... Why was he in jail in the first place? Oh, I, I think that was 10 years earlier, in 99. Yeah, what was he convicted of? Um, robberies-ish. Didn't say see details, except that he had been convicted for several robberies and uh, he had been in prison as well. I So I would guess that she... This is wild speculation. Mm. I would guess that she wanted him out because she was running out of money and he's a meal ticket. I think so. She's worth more. He's worth more to her out of prison than in prison. Oh, that's cynical. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, um, as I was saying with uh, this, the imprisonment in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Like she, that w- the sentence was second of November. I think the actual jailbreak was like a week after, possibly tenth or so. Yeah. So we're talking like less than a week or so before she wanted to break him out. Oh. Maybe it is love. Why did they why did they stay then? Yeah. Just disappear off that's going to relatives is not that clever, but maybe they didn't have any means. So Yeah, but I mean he can blow open a shed <laughs> and they can camp out there. I don't know, that's super uh, weird. Shed cracker. Yeah. Could have been a pride pride thing. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> That's the end. What's your theory on it? You think it was true love? I do. That's kind of why I picked it. Like, That's oh. nice. I am too Dang. cynical. <laughs> yeah, I, I am sad I couldn't find more details here, but like there were so many... I was looking for cases and I wanted something a bit more lovey. 
or, as opposed you know, to having messy divorce and uh, death yeah, on railings. covering horrible murders in cars and stuff like that. Yeah, I it didn't need to be upbeat, but I wanted something with, you know, at least focusing on the couples that they might go against the world, but they stuck together. Oh. But no, it also, I've had this discussion with a lot of people as well, like, uh, to, to what lengths are you willing to go? And when it comes to like either committing crimes or like say your loved one has committed a crime, sent to prison, not a murder, but you know, still very criminal thing. Move on, replace them immediately. Fair enough. No, no. What, I, what if it was uh, Kathy though? Move on, replace her. No, I don't. No, but I, I don't think it's something Guess. that you. <laughs> Oh, she looks so offended. Look at her. Um, <laughs> um, and back to sleep. <laughs> um, I don't know. If if someone you loved went to prison, especially a partner, I mean, I, it's really easy to say you'd stay with them, but I, I wonder if they're in there for 10 or 20 years if you'd mm. actually stick to it because it would get to a certain point where not only would you really be putting your life on hold to, to deal with that? Mm. But also, if they love you, then they should let you go. Even if they, uh, like, if there are no, um, uh, no pressure or anything, even if they are like, no, no, let you go, you need to, you're free, you should fly free, blah, blah, blah. Like, if it's something you really, really love, like, could you do that? Or You'd feel bad about it, but you can adjust to anything. I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't think it's something that you can answer unless you're in that situation. Yeah, true. It's, I think it's a lot easier to say you'd stay with them than actually following through on it. Oh, well, definitely. Because as well, when you hear stories about people who are um, in prison and they, they obviously don't get to pick the prison Mm -hmm. and it can be hundreds of miles away. Yeah. And if you're only allowed to visit during specific times, Mm. then you know what happens you put your life on hold two, three days a week at specific times of day so you can see them in a jumpsuit, behind glass, you know, not touching. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's obviously all sorts of different rules on um, on visitation, but worst case scenario, you can't have any physical contact with them mm-hmm. ever again or for a very long time. Uh, and, like, no you will be completely limited in your interactions with them. Yeah. You have huge walls and bars and everything between mm-hmm. the love or loves of your life. Like, um, I, can you not do anything? Can you walk away? Well, I don't know about walking away. Walking away, I think, is probably the most sensible thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's going to be that long. Like, you should just, you should both move on and it sucks. Um, but... I think in that situation, you don't want to walk away. You don't want to leave someone at their most vulnerable moment. Mm. Um, But I also can't imagine breaking someone out of prison. I think it's, it's more the idea of looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life. Yeah. And being on the run. And I mean, how many places are there that don't have um, extradition treaties? True. Like, I mean, we're starting up on Mars soon. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Shipped out to Mars. (laughs) I don't know. I um, I don't. I don't think um, it's gonna make anything better. Mm-hmm. And also, I I don't know that I'd be capable of breaking someone out of a prison. Mm. Like mm. even even with time and research and everything else, I I just 
yeah, I don't know. I, I can't imagine being, being able to hatch a plan <laughs> to get someone on it. I don't know. I like planning and scheming and stuff like that. But uh, no, like you said, the, the trickier part is, of course, the continuing getting away. Yeah. Getting away with it. Like, uh, they will 100% definitely know everything about at least one of the two persons they're chasing. Yeah. And I think they can deduce who the other one is. Yeah, I think it's going to be kind of obvious pretty quickly. Honestly, I think what I would go for is um, is trying to find some sort of legal reason to get them out of prison. Oh. And I think I would spend my time on that. If I, if I was making the conscious decision to stay, hmm. um, I think I would need some kind of hope that it wasn't going to be 20 years because... I think for me that wouldn't make it easier. It wouldn't be like okay, twenty years we can do this. It it would be right. Let how how can we fix this? Yeah. And even if they were guilty, I think I would still try to find some kind of legal loophole or way to get around it. Um, because if you think about all the people who um. Who've ended up in prison and um, you know they they shouldn't have been there because of some kind of injustice in the legal system or hmm. vice versa, people who have gotten out just because there was some ridiculous screw up like the whole um fruit of the poison tree thing but we're totally glossing over the fact if someone you loved was convicted hmm. and you believed they did it and it was a really horrible crime could you stand by them that would depend on the crime of course like really horrible that would well it's totally subjective yeah well true it is always subjective but like I would kind of like to think that a person that I would have fallen to to that degree would probably not be a person who could do that. And if this evidence came to light, then maybe you need to reevaluate that person. Yeah. But that is a very, you know, objective view of um, looking at it. And I have no idea what would happen if it was true. I think that's why it's so difficult whenever, um, like the case earlier when, on Tuesday when the kids are upset that their dad is going to jail for the murder of their mum, mm. they really think he, he hasn't done it and he shouldn't be in jail. Like that's absolutely heartbreaking because it's, it's one thing trying to believe that, um, your partner could, could do something terrible, mm. but whenever it's a parent on a parent, that's, that's even scarier. Yeah. But I think if, if I could get my head around them doing it, which would take time, but I, I think, you know, people are capable of horrible things and, mm. um, yeah. Yeah. Shall I tell you a quick one on John Darwin? Sure. It's kind of appropriate for love. Um, so really quick story. Basically, John Darwin was seen paddling out to sea on, in March, 2002, and later the same day, he was reported missing. Um, long story short, they conducted a massive search. They find the canoe. They never find him. Um, and his wife, I think, collected insurance money and everything else and was quite sad. And later on, she took in a lodger. Okay. And um, the lodger helped pay the rent and, I guess, took odd jobs and everything else. Mm-hmm. It was about five and a half years after the disappearance that someone worked out the lodger was actually her husband. And he was alive the whole oh. time and um, had been living in the house in the same village. Oh. And he was done for fraud um, because, of course, they, they paid out the insurance money. And yeah. I think he also had debt that was either written off or whatever else. Oh. But, 
yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I think. I mean, what did he just like grow slash shave off a beard or constant yeah, disguise or something? I, or? I can't remember now. I remember seeing the um the side by side pictures in the paper of what he looked like when he disappeared and what he looked like now, and it mm. was like one had a beard and one didn't. One had a hat and one didn't. It was like, <laughs> dude, you live in the same village. Yeah. Same people, same everything, and it's it was a village. It wasn't like a big city. It wasn't like you're living in central <laughs> London. It was a village, and people didn't know. Like that's kind of impressive, though. I've well, I, I'm just like, seriously, no one noticed. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess that's kind of that's love. Well, Helping your husband fake together. his death. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it was really weird when he showed up, and then all of a sudden it's all over the papers. <laughs> the missing canoe man is alive. Yeah. Been in the same house since he disappeared, basically. Yeah, he went right back in. Not bad. Yeah. No, that was good. Pull up. Like, did they give any uh, info on how that actually was discovered, or did someone recognize him, or um, did he try to take a new life insurance with a false ID or something? Oh shit! Yeah. Okay. Sorry. There was something interesting. They were gonna go on holiday. They so they went a whole bunch of holidays whenever they were away. Hmm. Sorry, they went a whole bunch of holidays after he disappeared, um, including one to Panama, and they needed to have um, a special visa. And essentially, they, whenever their identities were being confirmed, it was it was flagged, and uh-huh. the the alias just didn't pass. And in the end, he decided to return to the UK under his real name and pretend he had amnesia. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to cut this to make it sound a bit more coherent, but yeah, okay, that was it. He returned to the UK, okay. real name, pretended he had amnesia, had no idea what happened after the canoe thing. His wife was like overjoyed that he was back, and <laughs> I'm so glad I missed you, and blah blah blah. Um, and then photos surfaced of them going away on holiday together at various times during the missing period. <laughs> so amnesia isn't contagious, so it didn't quite work. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the. Um... Dedication to the uh, bit, though. <laughs> um, the the police were a little bit suspicious already because um, his wife Anne had been portraying herself as a broken-hearted widow, but um, she was still taking foreign holidays and she'd planned to um, sell the family home, and there there were oh. just some weird things. <laughs> but yeah, I. That is interesting, but at the same time, like going back to your looking over the shoulder comment, mm-hmm. like I would cut down on the traveling, and like especially if there's something like, oh no, we need this really complicated visa application procedure. But we really like Panama; it's totally worth it. <laughs> no, I yeah, <laughs> it it's not worth it. I I think I. I get anxious about all sorts of stuff. The last thing I need is to um, <laughs> to be on the run with someone team. and freaking out and can't like no I, uh, yeah, paranoid and anxious enough things. Mm. I don't I don't think I could deal with it. I'd end up just having a heart attack. <laughs> but yeah, stress is a big factor in uh, cardiovascular diseases. Well, true, true. I don't need that in my life. I've got enough. <laughs> uh, well, it's the end of our Valentine's week. Yeah, it is. Well, we will speak to you again on Tuesday. 
Yeah, Tuesday for a new full episode. Yeah. And we have some interesting stories. Very, very different from this week. Ready to go for next week. So prepare yourselves. Be excited. And more crime and more drinks. Yeah. I know what we're doing next week on the drinks. Well, I sort of know what we're doing. Mm. I know it involves whiskey. Oh, it does. So I'm very curious. <laughs> I'm hoping to, I mean, not necessarily convert you, but hoping to give you a nice experience. But I have, to be honest, I'm, I have planned a drink. But I have not tried it myself, so this will be interesting. Oh dear. Mm. I'm concerned. Maybe we'll just skip next week. Nope. <laughs> nope, we will not. I did pick a backup cocktail in case yours is horrible. Oh well, <laughs> do, okay. I, that's, I that's can't complain nice. about that. <laughs> if I haven't even tried it myself, I will not be complaining. Okay, we'll see what happens. Give us a shout on Twitter if you have any feedback, if we've totally screwed up the John Darwin um, addition to this. Um, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Um, and give us your suggestions for our next Minnesota mystery. Or if you prefer, you can always write an email and send it to crumbythebar at gmail.com. And you can check out our episode notes all on crumbythebar.com as well. But we will uh, drop our next episode on Tuesday, so you'll hear from us then. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe. Yes, subscribe, download, rate, review. Do love us. Things. Yeah, love us. <laughs> <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you for listening and bye. Bye. Also, can you push your microphone back a bit? Because you're talking to the stick and it's freaking me out. (laughs)